Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Uh, we're going to continue our study on living to please God. If you recall, I said last week I would have done that, but the Holy Ghost inserted something else, and so we want to go with the flow of the Spirit. Amen? But I have a reason for this. In Colossians chapter 1, let's look at these verses again. These were foundational scriptures in Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. This is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now why, Paul? Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice the prayer that he prayed for these individuals. He prayed for them so that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will for them and spiritual understanding. Why? So that they would live a life on this earth that would please Him and bear fruit, really, which is glorifies the Lord. Well, I believe that our Heavenly Father is preparing us for even greater glory to manifest here among us in our assembly of believers, in our individual lives and families as well. Now, God's big on preparation. Did you know that? Prepare, it's the process of the action by we get ready for something. And you notice that when he sent Jesus to the earth, he didn't do so without first preparing the way for him by sending John the Baptist to preach a message of what? Repentance. Repent and be baptized in water and then bring forth fruit, meat for repentance was his message. When Jesus walked upon the earth, he did the same thing and said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But also before he left, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Aren't you glad that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people? He's preparing a place for you and me. So before we get there, praise God, we already got a place prepared by Jesus for us. Well, I believe that he spoke to my heart uh, over these past few weeks and really revealing some things to us that will help us be, to be better prepared for the coming glory or a greater even manifestation of the glory of God. Uh, that message, if you recall, talked about uh, sacrifice, um, fire, and then glory. So, in other words, it teaches us that if we want greater glory, there has to be sacrifice on our part. And if we make sacrifices individually and also collectively as a church body, it will give place to the fire of God that will purge. We all need purged by the refiner's fire, which will give place to what? The greater glory of God manifesting among us. And then also the other message, the abundant life message, which is really a revelation is how we can get the glory on the inside of us to manifest on the outside of us. It talks about that. And really it says we start with reading. We read the Word of God with the intent that we want to know Him better. And then when reading leads to knowing, knowing leads to loving. Because if you really know Him, you will fall in love with Jesus over and over again. And then loving leads to obeying. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments, obey. Then obeying leads to what? Abiding. We're abiding in Him. And as we're abiding in Him, we bear fruit. You can't bear fruit by yourself without abiding in the vine. And by bearing fruit, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so he's wanting to get it from the inside to the outside. And also in the corporate body of believers as we all bring our glory here together. Can you imagine 
the weight of God's glory that will manifest among us. And you say, why is it so important to have the greater glory manifested? Because the anointing is one thing, but the glory is another. The anointing is one thing, and we thank God for the anointing. Trust me, it breaks the yoke of bondage. But when the glory manifests, guess what? Sinners will just fall on their faces before God. Bodies will be healed in an instant, just like that right there, when the glory really manifests. Hallelujah. Now, I want us to look at Romans chapter 3 for a reason, because I do believe that every single one of us uh, knows this verse in verse 23. At least we should. Everyone has sinned falls short of the what? The glory of God, right? All right. Yet God freely and graciously, look at the next verse, 24 and 25, graciously de declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was uh, being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. So, yes, we all fall short of the glory of God, and we know that sin caused him to fall short of the, what, glory of God. But God did something about that. He did something about the sin problem. He sent Jesus to take care of the sin problem. Sin is no longer a problem. Because of Jesus, it's been settled by his precious blood. Now, the, the road to glory is paved with blood. As we walk along that road where the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness and all sin, then we're on the road to glory and we could have manifested in our lives the glory, the greater glory of God as we honor the blood. Now, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 32, uh, this is from the Living Translation of the Bible. And once again, sometimes we pull out these translations because they just give us a little bit more insight and understanding. If you profit from constructive criticism, how many here like to be criticized? Anyone like to be criticized? Mm, okay. But notice it said constructive criticism. If you profit from constructive criticism, you'll be elected to the wise men's hall of fame. Who likes the hall of fame? But to reject criticism is to harm yourself and your own best interests. So as you hear the unfolding of some of the things we're going to share with you, remember, I believe that God gave us his word in the New Testament. Why? To teach us how to please God by living the kind of a lifestyle that he wants us to live on this earth so we can be pleasing to him. And as we live our lives pleasing to him, you know what we do? We open up the door to the greater glory of God. And what is the greater glory of God? What is the glory of God all about? I believe when the glory of God is in manifestation, it's his presence, his power, his peace, his promises, provision, and protection are all in manifestation all at the same time. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were under the cloud by day and the fire by night, right? Which re re represented the glory of God. And what, was for, what did he do for them? His presence was there. His power was there. His promises were fulfilled. His peace, his protection, his provision. He provided for all their need, did he not? So it's all there. And so that's what we're longing for. A greater manifestation of the presence, the power, the peace, the promises, provision, protection of God in our lives, in our homes, and also among church members. And I'll be honest with you, I believe the best thing that we can do, we've looked into security and all that sort of thing as far as being protected from uh, terrorism and, and people that are out there that are absolutely maybe emotionally disturbed and all that. They go into churches and start shooting up people. Is uh, We just want you to know that we set a host of angels up around all. Amen. Do you agree with us that we have a host of angels surrounding us here? Amen. And they're out there to take care of us. So, now, uh, we can be our own worst enemy. 
Did you know that? Um, most of us, if not all of us, have heads like cement. Thoroughly mixed and well set. Trust me, I've been told that by my wife. And don't you dare tell her I said that. Uh, we're kind of set in our ways and we think it should be this way because it's always been this way and that sort of thing. Now, it's one thing if I were up here telling you something, but I'm not. I'm telling you what Jesus said. So we have to take this constructive criticism up with him, not with me. So if you call, I'm going to say, Jeremiah 33.3, call upon me and I will answer thee. That's his phone number. And show thee great and mighty things. Don't forget that, Jeremiah 33.3, or text it to Jeremiah 33.3, okay? Okay, so look at some of these without scriptures. And if it's not with the word without, it'll imply without. So let's notice this. Without faith, we can't what? It's impossible to please God. So what does that mean? I have to work on my trust. Trusting God. Do I trust Him with my life? Do I trust Him with my decisions? Do I trust Him with my health? Do I trust Him with my finances? Because He wants me to learn to trust Him. So to know Him is to trust Him as well as love Him. And so, next one. Not only are we to trust Him with our faith, but we're to be spiritually minded. Being spiritually minded, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, we saw in verses 5 through 8, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh or more mindful of the flesh cannot what? Can't please God. You see, by being controlled by our fleshly thoughts and carnal thoughts and all that, our carnal way of thinking, uh, we can't please God that way. Now, when we first got saved, he knew that we were just filled with and full of carnality. That's just it. That's the birth process. You're first born again and your spirit's recreated. But your mind's not renewed and your body's not kept under. And so as a result, we go on and continue to do things that maybe we shouldn't do. But as we study the Word of God and we're taught the Word of God, what happens? We learn how to live the way God wants us to live. So we start thinking spiritually, not just carnally. And then thirdly, without works. Without works, we're told faith is dead. Well, if it takes faith to please God, and without works faith is dead, then our faith is not pleasing to God. In James 2, 26, we are told, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So in other words, works is not a bad word in the kingdom of God, is it? Faith is manifested through works. And we know that Abraham's faith was made perfect through the works of his offering up his son Isaac. Okay, number four. Also, without love, and this is so key to every one of us when it comes to anything and everything that we need to receive from God. Remember, God doesn't have love, but God is love. And without love, we are nothing. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Without love, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, divine love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not love, or charity, agape is the Greek word, I am nothing, and though I bestow all my goods to the poor, to feed the poor, and though I give my body, think about that, to be burned, and have not agape, charity, divine love, it profits me nothing. And so in conclusion, what he's saying here is if love, God's divine love, is not the motivating force behind all the activity of our lives, we are nothing, 
were no one making a lot of noise going nowhere to no profit to no benefit so even when it says your body to be burned if it's not motivated by love then really it doesn't profit me whatsoever <clears throat> so to please God to live the way God wants us to live we need to take the high road and really live in the realm of agape divine love based on decision and principle not feeling an emotion okay look at the next one discipline without discipline we are illegitimate in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 everybody likes that word discipline right chastisement mm-hmm everybody loves correction right but if ye be without chastisement whereof we're all partakers then you're illegitimate and not sons so in other words if God really cares about us if we really care about our children we'll discipline them child train them correct them that doesn't mean sickness and doesn't mean disease it doesn't mean calamity or anything like that that's not the way God teaches us it's through his word by his spirit through other maybe counsel that we get from other more mature Christians he will teach us and instruct us in the way that we should go and so we should be open to that whatever correction that he would want to give us we should be open to it the next one is without blood oh thank God for the precious blood of the lamb without blood there is no remission of sin remember the glory road is paved with what blood and we need to walk the walk of blood in a faith and healing class on Friday I talked about the blood walk and what a powerful thing this blood walk is when Abraham said, how, how do I know I can trust you, Lord? How do I know that you're going to give me a child and my child's going to do this, and etc.? He says, I have no children. How do I know this? He said, go get some animals. Dig yourself a trench. Put the animals in the trench. Slight them down the middle. Let them fall over to the side. Fill the trench up with blood. And once he fills up the trench with blood, these two coveted heads, they would walk what is called the walk of blood. And in that walk of blood, they would pronounce the blessings, they would pronounce the curses of, of being obedient or disobedient to the covenant of blood that they made with each other. Well, guess what? The coveted heads are God the Father and God the Son. And there was a blood walk, praise God. And that blood walk says, if you, if you honor me, obey me, then I'll bless your bread, I'll bless your water, bless your coming in, bless your going out, all the blessings. But if you don't, you open up the door to the curses. But guess what? Jesus fulfilled the law for every single one of us and redeemed us from the curse of the law and set us free from it all. Mm, glory be to God. Next one, without holiness, we can't see God. We want to see God in manifestation in our lives in our families, in our church, in our bodies, without holiness, we won't see God. So, in the book of Hebrews, you see it also chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be what? Defiled. You want to see what the enemy's tactic is to get us out of walking in love and holiness? Get us to be carnal in our thinking? And hold a grudge against somebody, be bitter towards somebody, it closes the door to God's power operating in our lives. And that's exactly the tactic that the enemy will use to shut down the operational power of God, prevent God from manifesting his anointing and even his glory in our lives if we get full of bitterness and unforgiveness. And so we want to make certain that we receive this constructive and criticism and say, you really don't, can't afford to hold bitterness or unforgiveness toward anybody. It'll shut down God's power in your life. Next one, uh, without Jesus. What can we do? John 15 and verse 5, without Jesus. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You realize that that should ring and resonate in our hearts and minds every morning when we get up. You know what we should be saying? I can't even get out of this bed without you, Jesus. 
I can't even think right without you, Jesus. Jesus, I just want you to know that my eyes are open right now. Thank you for seeing me through the night, for your faithfulness at night, your loving kindness in the morning. And I'm here to honor you. I'm here to live for you. I, I pray that your spirit of obedience rests upon me by your spirit throughout the day. I set my love upon you first and foremost because I know without you, I can do nothing. I am nothing, have nothing, know nothing, can do nothing without you. I need you. But through Christ, we can do all things. Amen. Next one. Without gratitude. And we're going to get this a little bit probably more next week. But without gratitude, we serve the enemy. And you could also say it this way. No gratitude, no glory. Deuteronomy 47, 27, 28. Or 47, 48. Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. Because you serve not the Lord your God with what? Joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. What does that mean? For all the things that he has done for us. And if you're sitting out there, someone's out there saying, well, what's he done for me? Oh, where do we start? Let's start with the air you breathe. Let's start with you opened up your eyes this morning. And you walked her on your feet to get to the sanctuary from your car. And you drove out of a warm house on a pretty cold day. Now, we could just go on and on and on and on. He made provisions for your eternity. He has a place for you prepared in glory where you will live and reign with him forever and ever. Amen. But anyhow, notice he says, because you're not serving the Lord joyfully, you see, but under, you don't understand. I understand because I'm a human being as well, and we all have challenges along the way. But what he's saying is this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And your joy is based on the inward work of God, not anything on the outward or the outside. So in other words, happiness is external, but joy is internal. And I have the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. And you know what? Count it all joy. When, when you fall into diverse temptations, whatever comes our way, start saying, I count it joy. I count it joy. I command joy in my situation. I know it may not feel like it. It may not look like it. It doesn't sound like it. But I'm saying, I'm joyful in you, Lord. I'm joyful in you. Therefore, because if you're not joyful, you will serve your enemies which the Lord shall send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness. Notice, and in one of all things, he shall put a yoke of plastic. Of iron upon your neck until you've been destroyed. So in other words, if we will joyfully serve the Lord for the, all the wonderful things he's done for us, we'll be yoked up together with the one whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. But if we complain every morning and every night and every day and murmur about, oh, what I'm going through and all that, guess what? We're playing right into the hands of the enemy. We're serving him. And what does he put around our neck? A yoke of iron. And that's no yoke. <laughs> he puts a yoke of iron around your neck, and it seems like you can't get out from beneath it because it's so heavy, Right? And then each day leads to another day and you're not full of joy because each day, you know, just gets worse and worse and worse and you just weighed down. I'd rather be weighed down with the glory of God than a yoke of iron. What about you? Yeah. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Now, notice the two words I have out there for you. They're called ought and should. How many of you know that ought and should are not bad words? And they're not condemning words. They're not condescending words. But they are New Testament words we're going to explore here in just a moment. And it's important that we understand them. Now, we know in this congregation of believers that we've become the righteousness of God in Christ, right? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we've all become the righteousness of God. And rightfully so, 
because of his sacrifice. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in Christ. And what this teaching has done over the years has enabled us to transition from a sin consciousness mentality to a righteousness mentality, right? A righteousness consciousness, not a sin consciousness. And here, we don't say we're sinners saved by grace. We say we were sinners. We've been saved by grace. And now we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Can you say amen to that? So in other words, don't put yourself down and beat yourself up because of the blood that Jesus washed you in. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And you could become more righteous if you tried to. Your righteousness is as filthy rags, so he gave you his. Hallelujah. What a place to shout. Amen. He gave us his. But here's another thing. Whenever we are taught certain principles and teachings from the word of God, there's a ditch. Did you know on one side of the road and on the other side of the road? We got out of the ditch of legalism, okay, that says basically this. Legalism says, yes, you've got to work for your salvation. You've got to do this for your salvation. And the mentality was that if I do something wrong, oh my goodness, I'm going to be lost and all that. Well, that was a ditch that people were in. Now, we gave the truth, which is you become the righteous of God in Christ, and your salvation is not based on what you do, but it's based on what Christ did, his performance. But today, that this age that we're living in, it's kind of moved over to the other ditch on the other side of the road, the extreme grace teaching that says because Jesus did it all, then no works are necessary on our part. Now, wait a minute. Let's get back to balance here. No, you're not saved by works at all. But you are saved for works. Can you say amen to that? No work will ever save you. But once you get saved, works, obedience are not bad words. What we ought to do, what we should do, is not condemning preaching. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. So with that understanding, let's uh, do this. Look in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, so we can have a better understanding of what it really means to be legalistic and what it means to be liberated. Now, I don't believe in legalism, but I believe in liberation. What about you? For the grace of God has appeared bringing that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, which are zealous for good works. Amen? So what does the grace of God teach us? It doesn't teach us that there's, we don't have to do anything anymore. No, it says you're not saved by works, but you're saved for good works. And once you get saved, you love him so much, you want to work for him. You want to live to please Him. Amen? Exactly. Now look in the, this next verse here in the Ephesians chapter 2 because I believe that the Apostle Paul got it straight from Jesus and this is what he taught. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's 
masterpiece. Oh, hallelujah. His masterpiece, his workmanship. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So, yes, we're now sons and daughters of the Most High God, all based on the performance of Jesus and not our works. But now that we've been born again, washed in the blood, he saved us for good works, as the Apostle Paul was taught by Jesus, so that we can live lives that will honor him and do the things that he wants us to do and not live for ourselves with a carnal mentality. Now look at this next verse, and this is going to be one of the most challenging things you're going to hear today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. This is from God's Word's translation. Don't you know that your body is a temple that belongs to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit whom you receive from God lives in you. You don't belong to yourselves. You were bought for a price. So bring glory to God in the way you use your body. Okay, wait a minute. That's pretty enlightening, wouldn't you say? You see that body that you're living in right now? It's not yours. You're renting it. Who does it belong to? Exactly. And what price did he pay for it? The blood of Jesus Christ, right? So your body doesn't belong to you. My body doesn't belong to me. Basically, I'm living in it, but it's his. And if you read the prior verses, he's talking about immorality, right? And then he comes up to this point and says, Your body's for the Lord and his use and purpose, not for yours or any carnal activity. He said, So glorify God in your body, which belongs to him. Now, if you were to rent someone's house, wouldn't you be obligated to pay your rent? Would you be under an obligation or a duty to pay rent because you're living in someone else's house? Anybody here that lives free? If you live in your own house, do you pay the mortgage? You know, we say it's my house. Really, it's the bank's. Is it not? All right. The word ought. The word ought, when you see the word ought, see, the, the Greek gives us a better understanding. In the Greek, it means you owe it. It is you're indebted to. It is an obligation to. So, in other words, if I'm living in someone's house, I am renting their house, I owe them a certain amount of money every month, right? If I want to stay there. So, since this is his body, I'm just kind of using it, living here on this planet, because he bought and paid for it, it really belongs to him. Then what do I owe him? What am I indebted to him for? What am I obligated to? to do while I'm living in this rented house that I'm living in here on the earth. Well, I'm glad you asked that. Because in Ephesians 5, 28, and before I even read that, let me just say this. You know, Ephesians is called the, the epistle of temple truth as God sees it. It's the epistle of temple truth. Remember he said, you're built up a sanctuary for God, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and we're all live, living stones, right? Remember he said that in Ephesians? So in other words, the church is the sanctuary of God. This is the epistle, the epistle of the temple, of, or of temple truth. And basically, in this epistle, what the Apostle Paul was taught from Jesus, by Jesus, is to share with us what we need in order to provide a place worthy of God's habitation. 
of his manifested presence among us. And so as we hear some of these things brought to light, what we see is if we'll give place to them, then we make ourselves a place worthy of his manifested presence. As we individually do it, we make ourselves worthy, this temple, of his manifested presence. As we do it collectively as a church body, we make ourselves worthy of his manifested presence. Now, we know we have his presence, but we want his manifested presence where there is a tangible uh, presence of Almighty God working on our behalf and saving the lost and healing the sick and setting the captives free, even delivering our own bodies, right? Okay, so what do we owe? When you see the word ought, so ought men, are there any men here that are married today? See, this isn't a suggestion by Jesus given to Paul. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. So in other words, what's the debt? I don't pay, I, I don't pay money to the Lord. I pay my debt by loving my wife the way he said to love her. That I owe him. I owe him that. So in other words, if I know how I love my own flesh and care for my own flesh, then I should love her the same way I'm indebted to do that. It's my debt that I am to pay while I'm living in this body that really belongs to him. So I'm to conduct myself in a certain way. And to be honest with you, and I'm going to just be flat out honest with you, you don't need a thousand marriage seminars if you obey that verse of scripture. You obey that verse of scripture, you won't need a thousand seminars to go away somewhere and get refreshed. You make a decision to love her the way you love your own body, it'll work out. And then, of course, she has to respond in submission, but we're not going that direction. Look at the next one. I'm a smart man. I'm a smart man this morning. First Timothy 3, 14 and 15. We're talking about now what we owe him, how to conduct ourselves in a body that belongs to him. This is what we owe him to have this rental space to live here on the planet. We're not our own. These things, and, and we're not going to take time to read them all, but all the things prior to this verse is what he said to do in the house of God. These things run I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, why did I write it? That you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So here he's saying, look, the church is his church by his design. And we're all to fit in in a certain way. And there's certain things that we all need to understand and know so that we can see to it that we conduct ourselves in such a way so as to honor God by doing what? Taking our place and doing our part in the body of Christ. Because he places us in the body as he wills. You know, sometimes people will come to a church and leave a church and not even realize that if God sent them to that church, there was something that he had for them to do. And if they don't do it, they're out of the will of God for their lives. He didn't send you to a church just to say, because this is the perfect church. Because it wasn't perfect when I walked in this morning. Are you perfect? No. But he talks about our conduct. But look at 2 Peter chapter 3. We owe it to him now. Remember, I'm indebted. I owe it to him, just like you owe the electric bill, you owe the gas bill, etc., the water bill, the garbage bill, whatever it is, your refuge. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, all what things? He's talking about the fire, the consuming fire that will do what? Change the earth, okay, by fire. 
He says, what manner persons ought ye to be in a holy conversation of godliness? In other words, he is saying here, we owe it to him to live holy, godly lives as we live here upon the earth. Why? It gives place to his manifested presence. It gives place to his glory and power. That's why. Look at the next one. 1 John 3, 16. These last two are really impacting. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Are you glad that he did? How many are really glad that he laid down his life for you? Oh, glory to God. I mean, really appreciative. Well, then we owe it to him. We're under a divine mandate and obligation, a duty to do what? Lay down our lives for the brethren. Mm -mm. Honestly, now, I want us all to be honest and do a self-examination. I'm not examining you. you. You don't examine me. But a self-examination. Do I really love the brethren that much in that way? That I would be willing to lay down my life? You know what? Anybody can say it. But there were over 40 individuals standing up here that did it. Our veterans that stood up here were willing to lay down their lives for your freedom. Can you say amen? Absolutely. And what he's saying is, we owe it to lay down our lives. Some people want to know why the power of God is not manifesting itself like, it, like you want it to in your life. If we line up with these things, I'm not saying we can be perfect, but if we just take heed and, and meditate some of these things and just say, you know what, I'm going to live my life to please you, Lord. I'm going to pay my dues. I'm going to pay my, my debt. And I owe it to you to love my brother. To love my sister and lay down my life for him or for her. And if that means sacrifices, listen, sacrificing what I eat or drink, then I sacrifice. Remember Romans 14 said, if you're going to offend your brother by eating that meat that you shouldn't, that we say the Jews couldn't eat. It's the brother that saves says we can. The one that says I'm saved, but I don't know if I want to. Don't criticize or judge each other. Just lay down your life one another. He said, but you know what I'll do? I won't even touch it so I don't offend. Can you see that? That's taking the higher road, isn't it? Look at the last one. This one makes me tremble. 1 John 2, 6. He that says he abides in him. Do you abide in him? Are you dwelling in him? Are you living in him? Also, so to walk. Ooh, even as. Everybody say even as. Even as he walked. Wow. Do we have our work cut out for us? <clears throat> Do we? Let's evaluate ourselves. Am I living my life with that in mind? That I'm to live in such a way so as to please him by laying down my life for the brethren and also purposing in my heart to walk even as he walked. That means if someone's caught in adultery, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to cast a stone. I'm just going to love on you. You're forgiven. I'm not going to criticize you. I'm going to help you grow. I'm going to pick you up. Amen. I'm not going to put you down. No, you got the devil to do that. you got your flesh to do that. You've got the world to do that. You don't need me to do that. If I see a brother find, find him in a fall, I'm supposed to go to them in the spirit of me, just considering myself, because I too can fall. Right? We're supposed to help them. We're supposed to lift them up, praise God. Now we've got some other word. The other word, the word should. 
That word should means these things that we're going to say are extremely important to our walk with God. Extremely important when it comes to serving God and walking with God. And again, the word should is, is used, but then also some, in some it's just implied. But look at in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What a mandate. In other words, he's saying this is critical. It's so important that what? That we evaluate our lives. Why? Because we have to make some sacrifices and adjustments. So the fire will fall and purge. You know, once you get purged, man, it just flows. The glory will manifest in us. And then the glory will manifest through us. And the more we get the purging fire of the Spirit of God in this place then the blanket of God's glory is going to fall. Hallelujah. And, and bring conviction upon sin-sick souls. Provide healing for physical bodies instantly. And I'm talking about, in some cases, you can come even without a lot of faith and just boom, the glory of God is here, man. It, it just touches your heart. If, for example, what I'm saying is this. Have you get somebody that may be a, you know what a cabadose is? A hardhead. Cabados is Italian for hard hit. Okay? And you're just like, you're just trying to, you know, put some truth in that head that's so just, you know, hard headed. You just can't get it in. Just can't get it in. Then you kind of think maybe we crack it open a little bit and put something in there, close it back up. You just can't get it in. But you see, when the glory falls, when the glory falls, I said, when the glory falls, Oh, hallelujah. When the glory falls, God penetrates the soul. God penetrates the skull. God gets in. And all of a sudden, eyes are, I see it now, Lord. I see it now. Amen. So the glory can do in a moment what we couldn't do for years. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter. Uh, and this is critical to the time in which we're living. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For this is the will of God. People want to know the will of God. I want to know what the will of God is for my life. Okay. We got it. Even your sanctification or being set apart in your body to serve God. That you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Bought and paid for by the blood. In sanctification and honor. Did you hear that? See, we can't ignore these instructional teachings from the New Testament that reveal to us that now that we've been saved, and trust me, here's where I'm coming from. People that have been sitting under the extreme grace teaching, I'm not saying it's all always being taught wrong, but I know it's being perceived wrong and received wrong, and people are thinking that because Jesus did it all, there's nothing that you have to do. And I've had them tell me this, so this is not hearsay. They've told me this. You just don't understand. We've been saved by the, by the grace of God. By grace through faith. And they've got the verse to back it up. I said, I know that. But that means that you've been forgiven past, present, and future sins. You don't have to confess your sin. You don't have to repent. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. Why? Because the scripture tells us we are to repent and confess our sin. That's why. Go to the book of Revelation. The letters to the seven churches. Except you repent. Except you repent, except you repent seven times. I'm going to take your candlestick out. 
etc., 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 right? So he's telling the churches, repent for this. Repent for what? Whatever attitudes that existed, you're blind, you were blind about certain things in your life and all that. He was talking to seven churches that were functional churches in this, this province. And, and it was up to them to read all the letters to all the different churches that he sent so why he can get the things straightened out and need to be straightened out so he can have a greater manifestation of his glory. Because he's coming for a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. Can you say amen? Absolutely. And so it's important that we understand that we have a part to play in this. And this is for us to what? Examine ourselves, not somebody else. Examine my own life. Okay, so I know the grace of God teaches me I can't be saved by my works. But the grace of God also teaches me something else. I should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And I should know how to conduct my body in honor and sanctification. And that's not just talking about sexual immorality. That's talking about be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't lie anymore. Don't steal anymore. Don't cheat anymore. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. In Ephesians, the, remember, the Ephesians is the epistle of what? Temple truth. This is how to conduct yourself in the temple. And this is the temple. And this is the temple of the living God. Amen. And that's why, to be honest with you, and again, this maybe you want to say it's a pet peeve of mine or whatever. I don't think churches should have cup holders for popcorn and drinks. You know why? Because we gather together to worship God. Look, you can watch TV all you want. Go to a movie if you want. You've got cup holders. You've got popcorn. You've got this and that and the other thing. But when you come to a place like this, who are we here for? I want to give you my undivided attention. And I want to set my love upon you, Lord. I want to bow before your holiness. As Isaiah saw you high and lifted up and full of glory, your train. You see, when you see the place full of glory, he bowed on his knees. We're going to make some sacrifices here and some changes that will bring a greater manifestation of the glory of God. Look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should. We should. It's of primary importance, in other words, live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Notice he didn't say everything is already covered by the blood of the Lamb, so it doesn't really matter what you do. You know what some of these people actually said to me? Actually said this. It doesn't matter if I sin tomorrow by committing this sin or that sin, and they named different sins, and said it's already been covered by the blood of the Lamb, or already been taken care of by the blood of the Lamb. I said, really? You have to repent or anything like that? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Really? So in other words, no effort is necessary for you to look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, because it's already been done. See, we can't confuse the two. The work for salvation has been done. And you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and you're saved from an eternity in the lake of fire. But we've been saved for good works. I should be living my life in such a way as to say, does this please my Father? If this doesn't please my father, then I'm not going to do it. And that's not a list of do and don'ts. That's not legalism. That's liberation. That's liberty. Amen. Look at the next one in uh, Titus 3 and verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Look at this. That they which have believed in God might be careful or mindful to maintain what? Good works. Good works. These things are good 
and profitable unto men. Godliness is profitable unto all men for all things. The promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. And so you see, it doesn't exclude us from good works. Actually, it really inspires us for good works. Because we want to love our Savior for what he did for us. Amen. And then the next one, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Didn't Jesus say, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? We should follow his example. Who when he was reviled, he reviled not. Right? Follow his example. Look at him until you emulate his life. And then the last one, John 7. And this one is, is really impacting and powerful. Matter of fact, Wednesday nights we're talking about this. And we're going to do so even more. But this spake he of the Spirit. Before this it says, In that great day of the feast, Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. For out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, that they which believe on him. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, should receive, should receive. Do you believe on him? Then the word should means what? It's a matter of great importance that we receive the Holy Ghost who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we should receive the Holy Ghost. So in conclusion, each and every one of us is a temple of the living God. Each and every one of us has been bought with the price, the blood of Jesus. And we need to have a deep revelation of what that really means for ourselves. Do you know what I mean? I can say it a thousand times. We can see it on a video and all that. We can see the cross. We can see the blood and all that. But is it impacting me such, in such a way that I begin to walk the, the blood road, the road paved with blood so I could get to the glory of God? A cleansing it's a cleansing blood that makes me whiter than snow. That I live my life in such a way so as to please my Heavenly Father by doing what? Living a sanctified, set-apart life. And even putting myself and my own thoughts and my own desires, my own needs set aside for others to lay down my life for the brethren. To live as He wants me to live. And to see to it that I emulate His very life upon the earth. That's what He's saying to all of us. And guess what? There is a reward to it. The reward is the blanket of God's glory will manifest individually, collectively, and I'll tell you what, you talk about days of heaven on earth. Hallelujah. Amen. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, 
Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.